Morning, brothers and sisters, uh, friends, visitors. Uh, my name's Adam. Uh, I'm a member here at Calvary, and I'm also the uh, small groups director. Uh, if you're interested in finding one of our small groups, um, they meet during the week. They, uh, they have discussion about the sermon, the time of prayer, and spending time just uh, getting to know each other, encouraging one another. Uh, you can sign up. Uh, I encourage you guys to sign up on the website, or you can contact me, email me, uh, text me, call me, or you can talk to me after the service. But uh, this morning, today, I've, I've got the privilege of proclaiming God's word and we're actually going to be continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I think I've got one of the pew Bibles. If, uh, if I do, it's page 555. And we're going to be continuing where we left off from uh, last week. Uh, today we're, we're talking about contentment and uh, prosperity. Prosperity... Uh, which you know includes wealth, possessions, power, it can often be a touchy subject. Uh, people don't like talking about the extent of their prosperity, how they got it, or uh, what they plan on doing with it. Yet we all have our own views on prosperity. And as Christians, we need to be discerning. Throughout the history of Christianity, there have been extreme views on prosperity, from the complete renunciation of it, of complete renunciation of wealth, possessions, and, and vows of po poverty, to on the other side, the prosperity gospel, where the belief is if, if we just have enough faith, we will live lives of uh, little princes and princesses because we are all children of the king. Uh, in my life, I don't meet a lot of monks or private jet flying megachurch pastors. Uh, but the Christians I do come across have a range of views on prosperity. On the one hand, uh, there's what I'd call middle-class Christians. These are brothers and sisters uh, who are tempted to look. They see maybe in the church there's homeless people or uh, brothers or sisters who are in debt or out of work. And they're tempted to conclude that such people must be simply not faithful. They must be wasting their money. They must be lazy. Maybe they're irresponsible. And for that kind of Christian uh, mindset, uh, being poor is the mark of being an, a bad Christian. Being middle class is the mark of being a good Christian. Uh, it's kind of a conservative mindset where if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you'll be fine. And the result is that being middle class is akin to godliness. On the other side, in my adult life, I've seen what I call radical Christianity, and these are Christians. They grew up in middle-class homes. They become disillusioned with what they perceive as worldliness and hypocrisy in their churches and families. So they decide that even though they've, they're often university-educated, they have lots of opportunities, they feel called by God to intentionally leave uh, middle-class life, uh, live in the worst neighborhoods in town, abandon career paths to work minimum wage jobs, and, and then urge other Christians to do likewise, thinking that'll booster the church's witness. 
what does the Bible say? What does God think of prosperity? With that in mind, I think we, we should turn to Ecclesiastes. To summarize what we've been learning in the last few months, uh, King Solomon looks at life in this fallen world, life under the sun, and he sees some pretty bad stuff. Uh, this world is often a sad place. Life is vanity. It's fleeting, frustrating. It's confusing. But life is also beautiful. Every season in life is a gift from God above. Even in the midst of evil, God is good, and he will bring about perfect justice in his perfect timing. That should lead us to worship. The vanity of this fallen world should drive us to put our faith in God and stop looking for answers elsewhere. As Solomon says in chapter 5, verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. We should stop listening to man's dreams, man's words. We should fear God. Listen and submit to God in worship. And now, in today's passage, uh, Solomon considers greed and prosperity. And, And my big point this morning is that we are to accept what God has given us with contentment and stewardship. We are to accept what God has given us with contentment and stewardship. Four points today. Point number one, greed is bad. Greed is bad. Point number two, God's gifts are good. God's gifts are good. And point number three, be faithful with God's gifts. Be faithful with God's gifts. And point four, be content with what God has given you. So greed is bad. God's gifts are good. Be faithful with God's gifts and be content with what God has given you. Let's start with point one. Uh, Greed is bad. Greed is bad. Sorry if you disagree. But hear me out. Uh, But first I want to differentiate uh, between greed and prosperity. By prosperity, I'm talking about uh, wealth and possessions and power in this world. Uh, Maybe some of you feel like you don't have much prosperity at all. Maybe others of you feel like you've been blessed with a lot of prosperity. Uh, Prosperity is different than greed. By greed, I mean the selfish desire and pursuit of more prosperity for its own sake. A love of prosperity and self over the love of God and others. Um, That's what I mean by greed. And greed is bad. It's a sin. Uh, In today's passage, we see that Solomon gives three pictures of greed. Each picture shows uh, the futility and evils of greed. And uh, first... Uh, there's the picture of power being abused. Look at verse, verses 8 and 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for the, a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So uh, Solomon looks out, he sees oppression, injustice, unrighteousness, and he points to a problem with those in power. 
Uh, these two verses are a little tricky because there's different interpretations of them, but the idea appears to be that Solomon sees those in power, and he sees that they're not using the power the way that God intends. God intends those who govern to do so, to punish evil, and to bless those they govern. Here, though, we see that people in power are using their positions to benefit each other and themselves. Uh, the official's not using uh, their, the, he's not serving the people. He's really serving the official above him, who serves the official above him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In verse 9, uh, it refers to a king committed to cultivated fields, which, which might be explaining how power is supposed to be used in a wise way, but some actually think that it's highlighting how it isn't the people who profit from working the fields, but the king. Uh, the New Living Translation paraphrases it like this, even the king milks the land for his own profit. This isn't how it's supposed to be, but human beings are greedy. So often people in power love their power, they, they want to keep their power, they want more power, and they love the benefits of that power, and in all that, they forget why they were given the power in the first place. It's vanity. It's vanity because positions of power can so easily be lost, and so you see so many spending all their energy guarding that power instead of using it for good. And that same greed exists today. You see it in government. You see it in the workplace. Sometimes you see it in the church. It's greed. So that's the first picture Solomon paints. And the second is about the dis dissatisfaction of having it all. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So Solomon says, money will not satisfy, and neither will stuff. He says, the more stuff you have, the more uh, they increase who uh, eat them. In other words, the more people there are to share your stuff. Uh, you know, you think of the musician who makes it big. Suddenly, there's this entourage of family members, friends, eating their food, enjoying their houses, using all their stuff. Worse, the man with uh, lots of stuff uh, so often gets little pleasure out of his stuff, except, it says in verse 11, but to see them with his eyes. All the stuff he thought would make him happy just sits there, decorations of an unhappy life. And we can so easily be like that today, greedy for more stuff just to have it all pile up around us. The books you bought you don't read. The vinyl collection of records you listen to once or twice. The tools you picked up you thought you'd use it on dozens of projects. The pool in the backyard you use once or twice a year. Not that books, records, tools, or pools are bad. Uh, those are just examples. We all have our own pet decorative possessions. I know I do. We accumulate so much stuff, and yet it just sits there for us to look at. Is it really worth it? 
Solomon continues his reflection in, in verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Solomon points out that at the end of the day, rich and poor go to sleep, and the one who labors sleeps soundly, whether he's rich or poor. On the other hand, the greedy can't sleep. They're in pain either from uh, consuming too much or from being anxious about all their stuff, or maybe it's that indigestion that comes from knowing you have so much stuff and you, don't, and you know it won't satisfy. It's all a chasing after the wind, and it's greed. So that's the picture of the person who has it all, and the third picture is a picture of the person who loses it all. Solomon writes in verses 13 and 14, there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So this is a picture of a rich man who, in his greed, keeps his money, he hoards it, and then he loses it all in some kind of bad transaction. It's not clear what this bad venture is. The New Living Translation paraphrases it, risky investments. New International Version paraphrases it, misfortune. Whatever it was, the rich man loses all his money, so much so that verse 14 says that he has uh, nothing to leave as an inheritance. Elsewhere in, in Proverbs, Solomon says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So this Proverbs saying that a good man leaves an inheritance to grandchildren, but this man in, in Ecclesiastes couldn't leave anything to his son. When we're greedy, money can be so easily lost. In the end, the rich man loses everything and leaves this world with nothing. Look at verse 15 and 16. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there for him who toils for the wind? Uh, you know, this is this man leaves with nothing. This is true of everything. Uh, we all die, and uh, none of us will take away any of our prosperity with us. We all, we'll all leave the way we came from dust to dust. In the case of this man, Solomon writes that worse than that, uh, his loss of money has resulted in a life of frustration. Verse 17, it says, Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. The vanity of this man's pursuit has led him to a place of anger and despair, and he's stuck in that place, says, all his days. This man's greed has left him with empty pockets and a heart filled with despair. Beware, friends. We could also allow greed to destroy us, to blind us to wise decisions, and worse, to allow our hearts to be filled with anger and despair. 
So we've seen these, these three pictures of greed, the abuse of power, the dissatisfaction of having it all, and uh, the despair of losing it all. Greed is a sin, and it threatens you and those around you. Now, when you look at these pictures, who do you see? You see that morally bankrupt politician, those foolish people you hear about in the news who lost their money in cryptocurrency, that greedy family member who's always asking for money. Friends, greed is not some other person's problem. It's our problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as, as John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Pastor Matt mentioned this a few weeks ago in passing, but there are many in our culture today who want us to believe that the main problem with the world is the systems. People are fine. It's the systems that are broken. Capitalism, hierarchies, families, social structures. Those are my problems. I didn't do anything. So many people are tempted to see themselves as mere victims of the system. And we, there are bad systems. We're sinful people. We make sinful systems. But the Bible tells us that the real problem is us. We are the problem. We are sinners. We are by nature and by choice greedy. We are idolaters and we're lovers of self. So sin is ultimately a sin against God. It's a sin against him from whom all blessings flow. And God will bring every deed and thought into judgment. However, God sent Jesus who lived a perfect selfless life and for his sheep died a perfect death and rose again so that those who believe in Jesus are united to him. Our sin is paid for on the cross. God declares us guilty on the basis of Jesus' life, and we are saved from God's wrath, reconciled to him with a promise of eternal life, eternal prosperity, where moth and rust cannot destroy. Friends, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you are still under God's anger and punishment, and I urge you to repent before God and to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can talk to someone today about becoming a Christian. Uh, Christians, whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between, this should be a warning. We must remind ourselves of the vanity and the evil of greed. It's a chasing after the wind and it hurts others. Let us repent of our greed and ask God to lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that we may worship him alone. That's, uh, that's point one. Greed is bad. I'm going to take a sip of water. Greed is bad. But point two is God's gifts are good. Uh, power and possessions and wealth can be blessings if we enjoy them as gifts from God and steward them well. Um, this is where Solomon goes in, in the next few verses. Verses 18 and 19, it says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with, with, with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions 
and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. We're to enjoy God's gifts. In fact, Solomon says that this joy is a gift from God to enrich our lives. Verse 20, it says, For he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Enjoying God's gifts is a good part of human life. I do think we need to say here that God gives different gifts to different people. That means that there's going to be some Christians who uh, get more prosperity than others, even if they're equally faithful and responsible and mature. Some of us will be poor, and brothers and sisters should help those in need. Uh, We shouldn't buy into the middle-class mindset that if we're poor, we're probably unfaithful and irresponsible. On the other hand, we shouldn't judge people for being prosperous. Greed is bad, like I've said, but uh, simply having wealth, possessions, and power doesn't mean that you're greedy. So don't buy a version of radical Christianity that sees anyone with money who doesn't sell all they have and give it to the poor as a heathen. God's gifts are good. That being said, we need to be faithful with God's gifts, which brings us to point three. Be faithful with God's gifts. So greed is bad, God's gifts are good, and we need to be faithful with God's gifts. That means stewardship. When God gives us gifts, he entrusts them to us, and we are to be good stewards of them. If God has given you the opportunities and the means to make money, to have possessions, and to enjoy a position of power, then generally speaking, you should make use of those opportunities. Those opportunities are gifts from God. But you must also be a good steward of using and enjoying those gifts. The goal is not simply to spend your life pursuing God's gifts uh, for its own sake. And that brings us to chapter 6 in verses 1 and 2. Solomon paints another picture, this time of a man who's uh, in his life, he gains great prosperity, but he enjoys none of it. Look at verses 1 and 2, chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity, it is a grievous evil. In the end, this man dies and all his prosperity goes to someone else. This is so sad, Solomon says, that he might as well have died at birth. Look at verses 3 to 6. If a man fathers a hundred children, this is supposed to be a good thing, and uh, lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. 
do not all go to the, to the one place. Solomon compares this man to a stillborn child, a very sad picture. Both die, both take nothing to the grave. And as uh, the Apostle Paul says, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. In verse 2, it says that God did not give this man the power to enjoy the gifts he gave him. Has God given you the power to enjoy his gifts? Or are you so consumed with other things, including pursuing prosperity, that you never actually enjoy what God has given you? I should say here that uh, enjoying God's gifts and stewarding them well includes blessing others with them. Jesus said it's uh, more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul taught Timothy to teach the rich this is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We are, if we're to be truly faithful with God's gifts, that should mean generosity and storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. As Randy Alcorn says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. How are you stewarding God's gifts? Are you being faithful? Or are you saving all your money but never using it in godly ways for yourself and for others? Are you gathering possessions but never enjoying them or sharing them with others? Are you trying so hard to get to that next stage in life? Uh, forgetting to enjoy the one that God has currently given you? We are called to be good stewards, and that means being faithful in how we use God's gifts. So uh, greed is bad. God's gifts are good. We're to be faithful with God's gifts. Finally, point four, be content with what God has given you. God gives, he takes away. He's the king of the universe. He knows everything, and he has a plan. And for Christians, God's plan is for our good. God works all things uh, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But uh, for a lot of us, we want to be in control. We want to make the plan. We're like children. No, I want to do it. I want to pick. You know, it's God who gives us the life he's chosen for us. But we so often say, I don't like this life. I want more. Solomon warns us of this. Uh, he warns us that we will always want more. Look at verse 7. It says, All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Man works uh, for his mouth, it says here, uh, meaning to meet his needs, yet his appetite is never satisfied. Uh, and that's what appetites are like. Uh, like hunger, you know, you, f- you feel hungry, so you eat, then you don't feel hungry. Uh, but then soon enough, you're hungry again, and the cycle repeats. It never ends. We always want more. And we get tempted to make life all about these appetites and satisfying these appetites. If I just work a little harder, I'll get that better job. Now, 
That'll make me happy. Or if I make more money, I'll get that better house, then I'll be happy. If I just get a husband, or have children, or retire, or have grandchildren, then I'll be satisfied. We're so tempted to look for more than what God has given us. Sometimes this craving uh, shows itself in the pursuit of self-improvement. We think, maybe if I can just become the best me I can be, if I can just realize my potential, then I'll be happy. Well, Solomon warns us that that's a dead end as well. Look at verse 8. It says, For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? These are uh, rhetorical questions. Is a wise man better off than a fool? No. What does the poor man get for good behavior? Nothing. Of course, Solomon's not saying that we should be foolish or live recklessly. The point is that self cannot satisfy. The Bible is not fundamentally a self-help book. So prosperity isn't the answer, and neither is self-improvement. The answer is contentment. Look at verse 9. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Better is the sight of the eyes. In other words, it's better to be happy with what you see, what, what you have in front of you, than it is to be constantly looking for something else. You living translation paraphrases it like this. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Stop dreaming. Uh, be content with whatever lot God has given you. And your lot is from God. God is in control. Look at verses 10 and 11. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? In other words, whatever has come to be was already decided by God. Your portion in life was decided by God. And you, you can fight about it, and you can argue about it, but Solomon says that man is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. You can't pick a fight with God. So save your breath. The, the more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? Verse 12, Solomon again puts us in our place. He says, for who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Do we know better than God? Do we know how our short lives fit in his plans? No, we don't. And so we should accept that God is in control. God has given us our lot in life, and instead of constantly looking for something else, we should be content with what God has given us. In the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul explains that this contentment comes from knowing Jesus. He was in prison, but he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 
verses 11 to 13, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We are to be content with the life that God has given us. And if you are a believer, Jesus is the secret. He is able to strengthen you so that you can be content in any and every situation. If you are finding it hard to be content today, turn again to Jesus that he may fill you with contentment no matter what situation you are in. So greed is bad. God's gifts are good. and We should be faithful with God's gifts and we should be content with whatever God has given us. We are to accept what God has given us with contentment and stewardship. That's a Solomon's perspective on prosperity that we see in the Old Testament, it's the Christian perspective of prosperity. Not that we pursue prosperity or renounce it, but that we be content with our lot in life and steward God's gifts with thankfulness and sacrificial generosity. May we grow in Christian maturity and glorify God with whatever gifts he has given us. Let's pray. God, we, we do want to be thankful people. We want to be uh, faithful people. And we want to be content people. We want to be people who are uh, continually thankful uh, for Jesus, for knowing him, for having his Holy Spirit in us, and for pray that you would fill us with uh, contentment, with love, and help us to be good stewards of the lives that you've given us. Pray that we would be a worshipful people who uh, live all our lives um, for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name.